Welcome to Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively, in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. Today's guest is unusually strategy-minded, results-oriented, and a kick-ass, <clears throat> excuse me, internationally recognized creative director. Her specialty is blending best-of-breed creative with decision science to prompt, for, prompt the right response. She and her teams have won over 200 international and national awards for marketing effectiveness. An energetic, optimistic leader with a proven ability to grow departments, win business, control expenses, manage through transition, and engender client trust and employee loyalty, she has a deep knowledge across the creative and, and agency realms, and it's no wonder her book, Using Behavioral Science in Marketing, Drive Customer Action and Loyalty by Promoting Instinctive Responses, is a must-read for anyone looking to get people to take action based on their content and campaigns. Getting people to take action is what she is all about. She is the co-founder and chief creative officer at HBT Marketing and has been named one of the 10 most fascinating people in B2B marketing, a social top 50 email marketing leader, and top 40 digital strategist. In the all-too-brief conversation we had when we met on our way back from a conference party in Cleveland, I knew I had to have her on this show. Welcome, Nancy Harhut. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Kathy. It is awesome to be here. Well, I'm so glad we made this work. Um, for our audience, I'm full disclosure, we actually, this is a, a take two. Um, something happened with our technology the last time. So and I'm so glad. Thank you for agreeing to be back on the show. But um, we're going to capture this and it's going to be amazing. So, I mean, my that was the highlight reel of, of your career. Can you tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, what your career looks like? And of course, tell us more about the book. Sure, sure. Thank you for that opportunity. Um, so, so the career is interesting. I, you know, I started off as a journalism major, thinking, you know, certainly I was going to be a, a newspaper reporter. And um, as I was approaching my senior year in college, realized that was probably not going to happen. I, yeah, I'd be fine, but I wouldn't be really, really good at it. I, I looked at some of my peers; they had the fire in their belly. I just could not see myself, you know, throwing a, a microphone in someone's face and saying, "Hey, that's your house burning down. How do you feel?" Like, I just couldn't do it, you know. So I scrambled. I found. Um, any other kind of writing course I could get my hands on, advertising, public relations, corporate communications, and um, graduated and found my, myself in a job in uh, public relations. And then that led to a job in direct marketing. And then my career just took off from there and, uh, you know, have never looked back. I have absolutely enjoyed it. And about 10, 15 years ago, I read a book by Robert Cialdini called Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. And that turned me on to behavioral science, went down that rabbit hole and just kept going and going and going, finding all of this really great, useful information for marketers, started to test it for my clients, found that it worked. The idea of tapping into these kind of automatic decision-making shortcuts that everyone relies on, all people rely on. I started to you know, kind of pull that out of the literature from behavioral science tested in marketing, it was working. And uh, that kind of took my career in that direction. And, and uh, that's what I've been doing ever since. And it ultimately led to um, a London publisher called Kogan Page that offered me a book contract. And uh, last August, they published Using Behavioral Science in Marketing. So it's been great. Good ride. Well, very cool. And, you know, the news world's loss is our industry's gain. So I think um, we're thankful for that. So as you know, I start all my podcasts off with the same four questions. So if you're ready, we'll dig into those. Let's go. All right. So you mentioned uh, wanting to be a reporter, but what was the first career you remember wanting to be or wanting to do when you were growing up? 
uh, Kathy, I was sure I was going to be an attorney. I had a very overprotective mother. So I had to make a case for, you know, going down the street to play with my friend or staying up an hour later or something. And and I just thought, you know, I, I love language. I love persuading people. I think I'm destined for a career in law. That was not the case, but that's what I thought at the time. Well, I think you would have made uh, a great lawyer and probably if you'd found that book, even a better lawyer, right? So, (laughs) you know, again, happy you chose the path that you did. Well, who was the first big influencer in your life? So aside from my parents, I would say that it was my Aunt Bertha. She was my aunt and my godmother. She and my Uncle Joe had no children of their own. And as a result, the sun rose and sat on me and my sister. And we were, um, you know, we we just reaped the benefits of that. But my aunt was, um, you know, she just loved experiencing things, trying new things, going to new places. You know, she was, she just had a lot of curiosity. And I think that I inherited that from her. And for that, I'm very grateful. What song would you say epitomizes your career path? Uh, can, I, can I go with an entire album? If, sure. If okay. Yeah. I would say um, uh, how to succeed in business without really trying. I have pursued what I've loved and it's worked out very well for me. I've, I've been lucky in that respect. Uh, some people have this like game plan and um, I just started doing what I liked and it led to more of what I liked and more of what I liked and it's worked out very well. So I'd say that's that would be the album. All right. And what three words would you use to describe you and your career? Uh, curious. Uh, I think that's that's um, something that's really fueled my career. It's aided me in terms of being a copywriter and a, a creative director. I just love to experience new things, not unlike my aunt. Uh, results-oriented, because I grew up in, in the direct marketing, the one-to-one demand gen world, and uh, I'm always focused on getting results for my clients. And then I think fortunate. I've just been really lucky to make a living doing what I enjoy doing. Indeed. If we can find a path that that is something we also enjoy, then uh, fortunate is definitely a word I would use to describe that. So, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, wanting to go into journalism and, a, and a, a leaning towards languages and experiences. Go back to when you actually, you know, hit the marketing world and, and whatnot. What, what has the journey been like for you? So I, um, you know, I graduated Boston University uh, with a degree in journalism and the conviction that I was not going to be a good journalist. So I was like, all right, I'll find something else. And Mullen Advertising took a chance on me and they hired me in their PR department. And it, at that time, it was a two person department. I was the second person. And uh, I was very grateful. But I would drive from Boston all the way up to, um, my God, I think it was Pride's Crossing at the time. It was some small, you know, town that I'd never even heard of. But, um, but anyway, so I, I did that, and that was great. And they gave me a, you know, they gave me a chance, and then I got laid off because the economy turned down, and you know, uh, last in, first out. But they soft landed me at a client at Inc. Magazine, and I worked as a marketing writer at Inc. for uh, for a few years, a couple of years, I guess. And then a um, a headhunter found me and kind of wooed me over to. Uh, what was, you know, what was then called Eastern Exclusive, which is now uh, Digitas, the Michael Bronner powerhouse. But I had the good fortune of working for him back in the very early, early days. And I learned so much there. And um, that's, I think, what really launched my career in in direct marketing or demand gen. Uh, you know, I, it was uh, like a first rate education. We had fabulous clients, AT&T, American Express, House of Seagrams, IBM, Dell, you know, just great, great clients. And um, we just we tested and learned and tested and learned and, and I uh, just understood, you know, began or began to understand what worked, you know, what got people interested, what got people to respond. And uh, then I was able to take that with me to um, 
Mullen Advertising. They were looking to establish a direct marketing division. They tried twice before and twice before said, yeah, it's not for us and shut it down. But the third time was the charm. And uh, I had gone to kind of legitimize, establish and legitimize their uh, their direct marketing creative um, capability. And I was there for about eight years. We did a fabulous job, uh, you know, attracted new clients, established, you know, new benchmarks and controls for those clients. And then Hill Holiday wooed me away. Uh, so I went over there and um, ran their relationship marketing group for a while and then had the uh, good fortune, bad fortune of, of getting laid off. Happens all the time in our business, right? And I ended up at a smaller agency. And at that smaller agency, I had way more freedom because it was small. And uh, it was, again, during a period of an economic downturn. And they were like saying, what do we do? How do we compete? Because small agencies used to say, oh, come to us, we'll be, you know, less expensive. And we have people who used to work at big agencies, but, you know, now you can get them for a better price. But big agencies were going after what the small agencies were going after in terms of accounts. And every small agency was saying, we have people who used to work at big agencies. So that was when I really said, you know what, if, if this were my agency, I would hang my shingle on this idea of, of behavioral science and marketing best practices. Behavioral science is all about triggering those automatic, instinctive decision defaults that every person relies on, every customer, every prospect you talk to, that's how people make decisions. They just default to these hardwired behaviors. And if marketers can get out ahead of that and start to use that, um, overlay it on top of the, you know, the, the discipline best practices, we will have a huge advantage and a leg up. And um, the president at the time said, let's do it. And uh, we had a we had a really good long run. We attracted you know some great clients. We were punching above our weight class. I think is the the uh, expression. I'm not a yeah. big person, but yeah, I mean we were just in this small agency, you know, uh, out in the suburbs, and we were bringing in these really good clients. And uh, and then that ultimately led to hanging out my own shingle. And today I have HBT Marketing, which stands for Human Behavior Triggers. And my partner is is the uh, very guy who ended up hiring me at that small agency and saying, yeah, let's hang our shingle on this idea of behavioral science and marketing best practices. So it's kind of all come full circle. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we're continuing to do that kind of work and we're continuing to uh, get clients who are interested in it are, and are seeing the results and, um, you know, as, as a result, come to us and refer others to us. And then that's what ultimately led to the book because there were only so many clients I could take on and, um, you know, and only so many, you know, companies that could hire an agency, but this kind of gives that information that I really believe in, that I'm really passionate about to anyone who's working in marketing, whether they consider themselves a marketer or whether marketing is just one more thing that's on their to-do list that day. Yeah. So I've read your book and it's, it's great. It's super informative. I don't know of any other book out there that covers what you do in that book. Has anybody approached you from a, just a sidebar, from a, like a university or college standpoint? I mean, it would make excellent curriculum. So apparently, so yes, the, the short answer is yes. I heard from this gentleman in uh, England who wrote to me and said, you know, really loved your book. And as an aside, I'm, you know, I'm using it as my uh, text for my particular course. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, this is so cool. So then I happened to be in London uh, last month. And so I dropped in to see my publisher. I just love the way that sounds. I dropped in to see my publisher. <laughs> Like a year ago, I never in a million years thought I would have a publisher or a book. But anyway, I was in London for a conference and I was like, oh, my God, I have to, you know, say hello and say thank you, uh, you know, to Kogan Page for everything they've done. And um, I mentioned, I said, you know, I got this this text message from this uh, or this, you know, app message from this professor in, uh, you know, in a university here in England somewhere. And they said, oh, yeah, there are a number of colleges and universities that are using your your uh, book as a text. 
and it just blew me away. I was like, that is so incredible. I, I'm like, I'm so honored that, uh, that that's what's going on. But yeah, I, I um, apparently, you know, the academic world has kind of uh, tapped into it. They love all the real world case studies. I write a lot about the work that I've done. I talk about, you know, we, we thought about trying it this way and this way and this way, and here's where we finally landed and here's where the results were. And now here's how you can take that and use it yourself. And apparently they're finding that to be um, very useful in the academic world. Yeah, well, it was one thing as I was reading it, I'm like, okay, so if I were to spin up a course for a school, I wouldn't have to build a, um, what is it, a syllabus, because your book is the syllabus, like it's, it's so well laid out. And it, you know, the case studies, and like you said, one of the things I loved about it was, you know, this is what worked, but here's what we tried before right? Like here's so totally practical. So thank you. <laughs> and glad to hear. And you, I mean, there you go. Second career. Maybe, maybe you'll end up back at BU teaching it. You never know. You never know. Several of my, uh, my, my uh, colleagues and friends have. So uh, it, it would be a wonderful thing to do, I think. So was there a defining moment, a decision action, something that really significant, significantly impacted the trajectory of your career? I mean, you know, you, you, you went in, you were in school for journalism, thought about being a lawyer, um, those kind of things and ended up in marketing. But is there one thing or one experience where you go, you know what, that was a pivot point for me. So, you know, I think it was, um, it was, it was probably a combination of, of having read, uh, Robert Cialdini's book, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. And, and that just opened my eyes. I was like, this is, and he didn't really write it for marketers, he, you know, but I, I read it as a marketer and I was like, underlining things and making margin notes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so applicable to the work I'm doing for my clients. And I started to test it and I started to see that it worked. And then I had a really big win. Uh, we were um, we were trying to get a dentist to buy additional life insurance. And it's hard enough to get a, a, anyone, dentist or anyone to buy life insurance once. To get them to buy more is virtually, you know, it's like impossible because no one likes to buy insurance. They, no one likes to think they're going to die. And once they buy it, they check it off the list. And, you know, theoretically, you should reevaluate every few years because your practice grows or your family grows or, you know, it just makes perfect sense for people to reevaluate. But nobody wants to. Long story short, client comes to us and they're like, you know, we're trying everything. We're trying to sell more insurance, you know, and, and it's not working. And so I grabbed a page out of Cialdini's book and I you know, created this thing where I said, all right, um, we're going to drop this chart into the communication. And on the left hand margin is zero dollars of insurance. The least anyone can have on the right hand margin is three million. It's the most this company sells. And we're going to show people where they are. And in every case, we're going to we're going to target people who are left of center because we know in behavioral science that people gravitate towards the middle, that they don't like to be out on the bleeding edge as a rule, and they don't like to be lagging behind. They feel comfort in the middle. They feel it's safer to be in the middle. And if you you know, look at this, and the first thing you see is a chart, and you see yourself left of center, you're going to have this very visceral reaction that, ooh, I, I'm lagging behind. I should go closer, closer to the center. And we didn't think people would go all the way to the right and say, oh, you know, sign me up for $3 million. But we did think that people would move closer to the center. And that's exactly what we did. We had a a triple digit lift in response. And, and in this case, response was selling off the page. And so it was having read the book and then having that huge win for this particular client. And it was like, this is definitely where my career is going to take me, you know, for the foreseeable future. Wow. Who, insurance to marketing and <laughs> you've, co you've covered the gambit, but I mean, absolutely brilliant tactic, right? Like you said, nobody nobody wants to be that left of center. Nobody wants to be the laggard, right? So if, um, if their peers are doing it, then certainly, you know, that's a draw for them. 
What's your current role like? You know, what makes you get up in the morning? What are some of the challenges, maybe some of the compromises that are different now, you know, so far into your career to what they were before? Yeah. So for the last, you know, uh, six years or so, I've been uh, running the agency. Co- yeah, I co-founded it and I'm the, I serve as the chief creative officer and, and we're, you know, we're small. So it's very different than most of my career. Most of my career, I worked for large established agencies, Mullen, Hill Holiday, you know, Digitas. And, um, and that's the way I wanted it, honestly. I was like, you know what, I'm going to do what I do best and they'll take care of the rest. But, you know, you get to be a certain age and you start to age out of the big agencies. And I had the opportunity to co-form, you know, co-found an agency and thought, all right, let's do it. So I still do everything I love, but I have to do some other things as well. It just kind of comes with the territory of of running an agency. But I've I've got the good fortune of having a a great business partner. And um, and the, the guy that I actually founded the company with was was another person I used to work with. And he's since retired. And now I'm working with the guy that as I mentioned, originally hired me at the small agency, but I've had the good fortune of having two really good business partners. They um, kind of balance me in terms of, uh, you know, their skill set and my skill set. So, you know, it's it's really for me about um, working with the clients that I like to work with, helping them beat benchmarks and controls, helping them achieve more with less. You know, these days, a lot of our clients have, um, you know, slash staffs and slash budgets and, and they, you know, they've still got to perform, but they don't have all the resources that they that they used to. And being able to help them achieve their goals, help them, you know, make a market their company, help them keep their jobs, you know, that's I mean that that's great. So for me, you know, what gets me, you know, revved up in the morning is finding a new way to get someone to engage with a message and and respond to it and just kind of understanding human behavior and what it what it is that might make someone open that email or open that direct mail piece or click that button or offer up a bit of information that will help us, you know, retarget them better. Figuring out how to make that happen is, um, is what I love. So what's next? So behavioral science, I mean, there's just more and more people are getting into it and applying it and understanding it to things like marketing and whatnot. Are you, are you prognosticating sort of what the next big thing is in that area? Are you seeing different trends and what's new? So uh, definitely seeing huge growth. Okay. Um, you know, it's funny, it's, it's tailor-made for marketing and yet marketing was a little bit later to adopt it. You know, we saw it more in education, we saw it in healthcare, even politics, and, and now marketing is starting to get on the bandwagon. So what I see happening is greater and greater growth in marketing. We're seeing, um, behavioral science uh, positions in the C-suite at a lot of major companies with chief behavioral science officer or, you know, SVP of behavioral science. So we're seeing it really get seated in, in the high levels uh, in, in business and industry. And, um, and now, of course, there's the, you know, there's the growth of those two little letters that strike fear in so many hearts, AI, right? So I think there's going to be, a, you know, an interesting intersection between artificial intelligence and behavioral science and you know, uh, ideally, that will be for the for the good, for the better. Uh, you know, we'll be able to you know better target the right messages to the right people at the right time, and and uh, AI will help us do that. And then the behavioral science will help us serve those messages up in the right way, so that um, they're going to m- most resonate with people. They're going to be more likely to be noticed and understood and and responded to and remembered. So I think that you know the future is going to be some interesting intersection there. But uh, in the you know in the in the short short term, I see just tremendous growth in terms of uh, companies and, and, uh, and businesses adopting behavioral science and understanding, uh, the, the huge advantage that it brings to them. And then beyond that, um, you know, I think it's going to be like, uh, we're going to grow on steroids as, as AI starts <laughs> to cool things. Yeah. So 
if you weren't in the behavioral marketing space, what would you be? What's what's Nancy's alter ego? Oh, Kathy, I, don't, I think I'd be retired if I was not in the, you know, I mean, I, I really love what I, I really love what I do. I, you know, the, the, the law thing, yeah, part of it still kind of intrigues me, but I, I just, I think I made the right decision. I took four years of Latin and then, uh, you know, I think the only sentence I can, I can say right now is girl carries water. Puella porta aqua. That's all I remember from Latin. So I just don't, I don't think, you know, I thought law was interesting. I don't think it was the thing for me. Um, I love what I do. And um, I think when I stop doing it, it's going to be because I'm just, you know, hanging up my, uh, you know, my, my typing fingers. <laughs> Well, that's good. It's good to be, you know, if given the opportunity, you do what you're doing, then I'd say you're in the right space. For our audience, our listeners, particularly the women um, who are listening, what would be your best piece of advice on life, career, success, happiness? Wow. That's, that's a huge question. And I'm yes, not, it is. <laughs> it is a huge, I know, really. And I, I don't know what would even qualify me to answer that other than, um, you know, what I'm a woman and I've had my journey. So I guess I can share my journey and, and some advice from that. And so I think one of the things I learned along the way is, you know, for years, uh, you know, people would tell you, you know, where you need to improve. You, you, you do your annual review at work and they'd say, well, here are your strengths and here are your weaknesses. So focus on your weaknesses. You know, you need to get better here. And it took me a long time to realize that um, the real secret is doubling down on your strengths. You know, you can spend, a, I think, a huge amount of time trying to get incrementally better at those things that you're just really not good at and, and you could focus on it and you can get a little bit better but you'd be I think better served if you spent that time and energy doubling down on the things that you're good at now this is not to say that if you know if there's something that you do that needs to be improved you you know you shouldn't address it I mean if you're you know uh, you know if your if your people skills need a little softening or your you know your management you know or organization needs a little you know certainly tweak those things but but trying to I think take the things where you're not as good and and bring them up to the level where you're great is just futile. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be great at everything. I guess that's probably the bottom line. You're not going to be great at everything. So focus on the thing that you do really, really well, the thing that brings you joy, you know, make that your thing and, you know, and accept the fact that you're not going to be a perfect 10 across the board. It's not going to happen. But what will, you know, bring you success and what will bring you fulfillment is focusing on the the stuff that you're good at and and that um, that people value. I think that's such important advice because again, our our review system within work is always you know oh well you need to work on this right and if we looked at our team and and sliced and diced on you know against what they're good at and then distributed the work that way, things would be so much more better and, and, and stronger and faster and smarter and, and people would love their jobs and they wouldn't be like, Oh my God, I suck. You know, because again, it's, it's always what we're not good at that we're being told to, to work on as opposed to like, give it for the stuff you are good at. So I love that advice. Yeah, no, that's so smart. And I think, you know, sometimes when we hire, um, you know, we have a tendency to hire people like ourselves because that's what we recognize, you know, but your point about, you know, look at the overall composition of the team and, and balance it. You know, I, I, uh, I, when I was at Hill Holiday, I uh, had an associate creative director. He's now, you know, running an agency. He's fabulous. His name is Greg Eng, but he was a morning guy. And, um, and I'm not a, a morning girl. I'm just not, you know, and we worked so well, like he would be there first thing in the morning. He'd have so much done by the time I, you know, rolled in as a creative director at, you know, nine 30 or whatever, you know, but then for him, it was important to leave by five. And for me, I could stay, you know, till 
eight, nine, if I needed to, you know, and we had this nice little balance going. And that's just a, you know, that, that's just a two person example. But your point about looking at the overall team and, and, um, you know, distributing the work based on individual strengths, I think makes a lot of sense. Nancy, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. You're just coming off a European tour. You were in London and Bucharest and a bunch of other places. Where can our audience find you? I hear we're going to be welcoming you you back at Content Marketing World in September. So I'm excited that we'll get to to clink a glass in person. But where else? Are any other conferences coming up or where can they find you online? Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to Content Marketing World. I'm looking forward to um, the Agents of Change Conference up in Portland, Maine in the fall. Um, Marketing Profs B2B in Boston in the fall. So um, uh, the Smash Conference in the fall out in Vegas, which is for uh, marketers for the senior living industry. So I've got a few few things lined up. Uh, Jay Schwedelson, I don't know if you know him, but he runs two huge, very um, very powerful online conferences. One of them is called Guru. It's for um, email marketers, again, free and online, and that's uh, coming up in the fall. And then he's starting a new one called Delivered, which is for um, people who are getting into direct mail, marketers who are getting into direct mail. I'll be speaking at both of those. They're both free. They're both online. They're both in the fall. And then um, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. I'm, I'm on all the socials and post almost every day, you know, sometimes more than once a day. And uh, the agency is HBT Marketing. HBT stands for Human Behavior Triggers. You can find me at hbtmktg.com. We kind of abbreviated marketing. And, um, you know, uh, you can reach me there. If anyone would like to uh, connect on social or send an email, I would love to hear from any of your listeners. And of course, pick up a copy of the book. You'll find my best stuff in there using behavioral science and marketing. Absolutely. I encourage everybody to pick up a copy of the book. It really is. Uh, and, it, and it's an easy read. It's, it's not something that you have to, you know, you pick up and you put down. Some of them can be very heavy, right? And you're like, oh, I need to come back to that. But it's, it's highly consumable and referenceable. I've gone back to different chapters. I like to mark up my book. So um, yeah, I, wouldn't show, I won't show you my version because you'll be like, you defaced the book. Um, but Nancy, thank you so much for today's conversation. I love that you have made a career out of a passion. I think that is just such a great example to set. And to my audience, thanks for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Nancy and hearing about how, you know, when you do what you love and have a passion, it can drive an incredibly successful career. If you're keen to hear more amazing stories from amazing women, you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net and listen to some of the other episodes. You can also sign up for our email list and check out the links and resources in the show notes. So thank you again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. How to dictate memorandums. How to develop executive style. How to commute in a three-button suit with that weary executive smile. This book is all that I need How to, how to succeed